Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. You can be seated. Oh, man, nothing like getting in God's presence and uh, trying to navigate and hear from Him. And oh, Man, it's just peaceful. Where else would you rather be? But in God's house with God's people, with God's spirit. <laughs> and, and I'm finding that the spirit is always life-giving. And the law is always debilitating or limiting. And the Lord would have us to live by the spirit in the sense that we would be in a perpetual relationship, living and breathing with him. I was talking to some friends of mine today, and uh, we were talking about Sabbath. And the Hebrew word for Sabbath is nefesh. And it comes from the primitive word that means to breathe. That the Sabbath is the breathing in of God's exhale. And then we begin to see that theme all throughout Scripture, where the Spirit of God is the Greek word pneuma, which can be translated as wind or breath. That God would position us and would pray that we would be positioned in a place where we would see him as so necessary that we would breathe him in and that he would be the source of life in everything that we do. So why would the Sabbath be called breath? Well, for one, it's when you take a breather. Have you ever uh, been playing sports and you got real tired? What'd you have to do? You had to sit on the bench, get a, yeah, get, get a second wind. You ever heard that? So it's like this picture, this rhythm that God's creating that we would be dependent upon his spirit and not dependent upon our works. So for six days, God creates. And in those six days that he's creating, he exhales. And he speaks everything into existence. On the seventh day, when he rests, he takes another breath. Why? Because he's getting ready to create again. And that we would live by the pattern of God, that we would be dependent upon his breathing out. So the Sabbath is a picture of get out of the way and depend upon God's breath to bring you into the fullness of what he has for you. And so this theme continues on and on and on. Um, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he sees his disciples and he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. What does he do to them? He breathes on them. <laughs> that even the exhale of God is life-giving. Like we breathe in oxygen, right? But we breathe out carbon dioxide. So you can't breathe out, you can't breathe in what I'm breathing out. But God's so full of life, even what he breathes out, we could breathe in. When he creates men in the dust of the earth, he what to make him a living soul? Breathes in his nostrils. 
that the exhale of God is life-giving, that there's not one part of God that's not life-giving, even his exhale. And so Jesus is trying to teach us to live by the patterns of the Spirit. He's trying to teach us that. And this is really what is coming to the heart of what Paul's trying to get us to. He's trying to get us to be so dependent upon the Spirit of God that we are walking in the Spirit of God and that we are being guided by the Spirit of God and that we see our source in Him and we see everything through Him. And that we wouldn't try to operate in our own flesh, in our own power, our own things. Because how many of you know, we can even do good things in the flesh. But those good things that we do in the flesh, you know what we'll end up being? We'll end up being prideful about them. That we'll turn a good work or a good deed into something that adds value to me, not that points people to give glory to God. So when we walk in the Spirit, everything we do is always pointing to Him. Why? Because we're not ashamed that He's our source and that we are utterly dependent upon Him and only through Him can anything good flow out of us. So Paul is trying to get to the point now as we're kind of whittling our way through Galatians. He's trying to tell this church to stay in the Spirit of God. And he asked them this question, and he, and he kind of, there's a couple different motifs going on here. One of them is, is what are you under? What is your covering? And another one is, is who's your mother? What birthed you? What was it that put you in the position that you are in? And what are you standing under? What is your covering? And so he brings them back to some Old Testament pictures uh, to make that real. But how many of you know, if you want to make somebody mad, you can talk about their dad. But you don't talk about mama. So Paul's about to make some folks mad who've changed mamas. And that's why this debate gets so heated within Galatians is that they've chosen another mother that wasn't the one that birthed them. And so Paul begins to cut at the threads of their origin story of where they actually came from. Because sometimes we have to go back beyond the past that we know to go beyond that to go to a past that's even further back to realign us into our rightful identity, right? And so Paul's trying to get them to look a little bit further back than what they're willing to look so that they can identify with who they've actually been birthed from and what they're actually coming from. So what are they standing under and who's birthed them? And this is what's so important about knowing that our origin starts in the heart of God. Like, you might have been your parents' idea, or maybe not, you know. <laughs> Accidents happen. But not with the Lord, they don't, right? So you have to understand that your origin doesn't start with your parents. You were God's idea before you ever were in your mother's womb. So when I stop my identity at my genetics, when I stop my identity there, I'm limited because I can't go back any further. 
So I make excuses of my behavior and I refuse to be transformed because I'm claiming that where I came from is here. So what Paul is trying to do is say, no, you didn't start there. You started way, 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 way back here. See, sometimes we have to be brought back further than our past that we know so that we can know where we came from so that we can know where we're going. There's a statement in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes feet. And you know what prompted him to get up and start washing feet? Bible says he got up and he considered that he came from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up and washed feet. The only way Jesus was able to do the hard things was he know where he came from and he knew where he was going. So he didn't have to worry about any kind of pride because he was secure in who he was and was secure in where he was going. And if you want to see people that don't know how to wash feet and don't know how to serve others and don't know how to do hard things, they don't know where they came from and they don't know where they're going. So Paul is reuniting them with their identity of who they actually are, who they actually were birthed from. What was the womb in which they were birthed so that they would know this is where you came from and this is where you're going. Don't stop in the middle in some limiting thing that God did for a little fraction of time. Why don't we go back to what the original plan was and then push forward into God's intentional and eternal purposes that he had for his people. And so Paul starts using some metaphors here, and he uses, he uses women, he uses a couple women that were found in the Genesis story. Genesis is a part of the law or the Torah or the first five books of the Bible that um, many believe Moses put together and that, and that he wrote. So Paul is using something that they would have appealed to to make a case to change their mind, right? It's like when... Um, Jesus is talking about the resurrection, and he knew that the Sadducees um, didn't believe in a resurrection or an afterlife. They're really like atheists. They just believed in maintaining the law, and then like, you die, you die. Like, that's it. And so when Jesus combats them, and they start confronting his thoughts on the resurrection, and you know, and they go on that thing, well, this person, this brother dies, and then she's this person's wife, and then... Whose wife is she in the resurrection? And all this kind of stuff. You know the scripture that Jesus uses to bring them to that reality? He uses something that they would have seen, that they would have known. And he says, well, doesn't your scripture say that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And then he asks them a question. Is he the God of the living or the dead? So he basically takes, you know how people do John 3.16 in the end zone? <laughs> Woohoo! He basically takes their John 3.16 and says, Woohoo! And they're like, uh, man. This is what Paul's doing here. He's taking their John 3.16 and he's saying, well, What about this? Let me meet you on the ground in which you are standing on and tell you how rocky and how uncertain it really is so he brings them into this genesis reality and brings them back to abraham and this is all allegory here you can't 
take this too, too literal. Paul is painting a picture and using symbolism here, okay? So this isn't like this literal thing of one is good and one is bad. It's like when people read the scripture, uh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Well, that's a picture. Esau's a picture of the flesh. Jacob's a picture of the spirit or the promise. And so these are figurative things. God wasn't hating on Esau, but he can't allow people to operate in the flesh and to inherit the promise of God. Does that make sense? And so these are metaphorical things. This isn't God likes this one and don't like this one, or he chooses these to go to heaven and he don't choose these to go to heaven. That's hogwash, okay? If anybody tries to tell you that, we'll just fist fight them and get in the flesh. But um, no, we won't do that. But I am passionate about that. Everybody has a chance to be saved in this life and in this earth. I don't care what anybody says. When God picks and chooses, it's always to bring us to the place so we know where salvation comes from. God doesn't pick to exclude. He picks in order that people would know where to come to find salvation. So that is the point of election. When God elects someone, it's to say, oh, here's where salvation is. So God picked Abraham. Why? Because he was something special? No. He just said, here's the one I'm going with. So go with him. Make sense? Why does he choose Jesus and come to do it that way? So that you would know there's only one way to get to heaven. And so he elects one man to be the representative of a nation so that you might join yourself to him and be saved, not so that you could be left out and lost. Because Jesus didn't come to seek and save the saved. He came to seek and save the So election is always aimed at salvation of the world. Always. God just limits it so that we know where to look and we know where the real thing is. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's drawing a map and he's putting an X on it. He said, here's where the treasure is. I'm trying to lead you right, right to the treasure. So he uses this allegory of the two people um, involved with Abraham that went about trying to... Uh, birth the sons of promise and one of them was his handmaid Hagar and the other is his wife Sarah so he's bringing them to the reality of saying which one are you born into so Hagar was a slave so the one born to her would be a what slave Sarah was the free lady the one born to her would be what free so he's using allegories here. Where was Hagar from? Hey, who was that? I'm impressed. Oh, Wayne, I'm not impressed. I shouldn't know. You're sitting in the back. I'm less impressed. She was from Egypt. Where was the children of Israel in slavery? Hyperbole, picture, allegory. So Moses gave them the law and the law didn't get them into the promised land, did it? Got them out of Egypt. But Moses didn't get them into the promised land. It was Yeshua, Joshua that got them through the Jordan into the promised land. So he's saying in a sense... Were you born and birthed out of Egypt? 
Or were you born and birthed from Sarah, the mother of promise, the promise that was in her womb? So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get them to go back further than they were willing to go back. They said, nope, we start with Moses. But what was Moses' mission? To get them out of 400 years of slavery. But what else? Who am I going to say sent me? Why? They had forgotten. So he had to take them back further than what they knew their history was. Make sense? So when Moses comes and establishes the law, he gives them Genesis. Now, why would he give them Genesis? If it started in Exodus 20 where they got the Ten Commandments and were at Mount Sinai, why didn't he just start from there and go forward? Because he's bringing them back to the original intentions that were in the heart of God, even all the way back to Adam. Because when Jesus came onto the earth, he wasn't the second Moses. Second what? So what's he trying to do? Get us all the way back to the beginning so we can have a reset, a redo, a new creation, all things new and everything beautiful. So when we stop in the process of just like of anything and get stuck, you get rigid, you get mechanical, you lose the spirit of God, you, you, you lose your flow, you lose all that, and you're just stuck. And when you're stuck, there's only one source of power, the flesh. And God says, no flesh is going to inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is saying, listen, Know where you came from. You're the people of promise. Do you realize that when God took Abraham outside of the tent and said, look up at the stars, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be? He was talking about you. Abraham just saw a blinking light, right? But that was representative of you. That God is pulling us into the promise of Abraham and he's saying, look, guys, this is where you started. This is where you started. And that the law was put in to deter sin, not to save you. That the law can't touch the heart. It can touch the head. It can touch the part of us that appeals to our conscience. It can touch the part of us that are scared. But it can't touch the heart. Like some of us have not did things because we've been afraid to get caught. And I want to submit to you that's just as evil of a motive as somebody that just goes ahead and does it anyway. Why? Because what was informing that was not the Spirit of God. It was fear. And perfect love casts out all because fear involves torment. So some of us have been tormented by the law and we call ourselves saved. When our motivation is fear and torment, and that's why we have a critical eye on everybody else that we look at because we're being led by fear. Isn't it funny that we would say hate is the opposite of love? 
The Bible never says that. Fear is the opposite of love. Because I can't hate something that I'm not afraid of. Or that I'm afraid of. It, it, it's fear. Fear, it's an insecurity within us. And the only thing that touches it is the Spirit of God. And you have to let Him go there. So what Paul is saying in essence is, is the law cuts the flesh. But man, the Spirit circumcises the heart. That Jesus isn't making an easier way. He's actually getting deeper and more intimate than the law could ever go. Does that make sense? So we'll just dive in here. And here's the thing. Me and Ms. Cheryl were talking about this the other day. Remember when Solomon is uh, having to... Here, there's a lot of, Bible's funny, okay? And, it, and if you read it in a certain way and you see it, it's got some things in it that just really make you laugh. Like King Solomon is getting placed as king, right? His father David's handed him the kingdom and he prays and he says, God, who could rule such a wonderful and noble people like this? Right? Give me wisdom to rule such a noble people in such a position of honor. The next chapter, two ladies are talking about cutting a baby in half. I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. But the whole argument is, who's the real mom? The one who's willing to hand them off to be alive and not be cut is the mom. So in this debate of the mother, that which is of the spirit will hand it off so that it could be alive. That which would have to possess and hang on would say, must, nobody can have it then. That the heart of the real mother is aimed at life, not cutting. And so Paul is using these, these things to, to kind of bring us into that nurturing mother versus the one that would uh, not be nurturing and would be more demanding and would be where they would come from. So um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, tell me you who want to be under the law, do you not understand the law? Now when you see tell me in there like that, uh, this was a popular use when somebody was doing a diatribe or an argument is that have you ever got so mad you pictured somebody when you were telling them off? So Paul has created this, tell me that this is his picture that he's actually, he's picturing someone, an opponent. Have you ever been so passionate about something you actually picture an opponent and how you're debating them as you're talking through this thing? Well, this is what Paul's doing. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not understand the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by Hagar, the slave woman, and the other by the free woman. But one, the son by the slave woman, was born by natural descent. In other words, the flesh. While the other, the son by the free woman, was born through the 
promise. Okay? So when Abraham and Sarah tried to have a son by human means, apart from divine intervention, they end up bringing in Hagar to accomplish in the flesh what only God could do in the spirit miraculously. Okay? So Hagar gets, is pictured here as this um, human means, this, this way of the flesh of, of being obedient and try to accomplish it. But God still planned to send a son miraculously, a son who would inherit the covenant of God made with Abraham. So every time I get in the flesh, because what did God tell him? He said, God, I'm going to give you a son, right? And he keeps telling him, right? I'm going to give you a son. And he's like, okay, yeah, you've been saying that. <laughs> but the human heart doesn't want to wait. The human heart wants to take matters in their own hands, yeah. right? God ever spoke something to you? He was like, oh, yes, now. And God's like, no, 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 no. I just filled you in so that you could be praying and watch me do it, <laughs> okay? And so this is what's going on here. So then Abraham and Sarah begin to reason and begin to think, well, God did say that, but maybe he wants us to take action and make it happen. You know, because after all, we can't be idle and sit around and let God do it. Let's, let's get busy doing what we think we got to do to make this happen. And the crazy thing is, and this was cultural in that day, that if a woman was barren, she would have, the handmaiding would come in. This was, this was cultural stuff. To us, it like blows our mind. Wait, another person came into the picture. Whoa, what in the world is going on here? But no, this was just, this was the cultural way that they did it. And they would have the baby and then hand it over and the baby would be theirs and would consider would be the, uh, would be the heir apparent. So this wasn't like they were even outside of the cultural laws of the day. They weren't even trying to be evil. They were just trying to do so. They were trying to help God do something that he promised he would do. And whenever we try to help God do something that he said he was going to do, you're going to get in the flesh and going to create a bigger problem than you ever had to begin with. And that we would trust God and stay in the spirit and believe that he's not a man that he should lie, but he's faithful to accomplish the very thing that he's told us to do. And every time we don't listen to him, do you realize the wilderness gets bigger and bigger and longer and longer and farther and farther? So you say, man, I feel like I've been in the wilderness for 50 years. Well, did you listen to the thing he told you when you entered the wilderness? Because he won't let you go into the promised land until you finished in the spirit. And he won't let you finish in the flesh what he started in the spirit. Because he's got to get you, he cares too much about you to turn you loose into a promise when you don't have the character to live out and nurture the promise. Because it's going to be a really bad mess. So this is kind of what, is, uh, what he's pointing out here. He's pointing out. So when Abraham has this encounter with Hagar, in Genesis chapter 18, this is when we see God institute the practice of circumcision with Abraham. That circumcision wasn't before the failure, it was after. So Paul's argument is, if we're going back to this thing 
and considering it a success, actually, God told Abraham to do that as a sign to say, I don't need your help. And until I have the most private place of your life, I don't have anything at all of you. That Genesis 18 was pointed at his failure from Genesis 16 and 17. So why would we go back to something instituted because of failure when we have the fullness of something in Jesus all the time? I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best to work through this. These are weird topics. I get it, but hey, it's what it is. It's in there. We're going to go through it. So the promise was before circumcision, it was disobedience that provoked the law. So to go back to something that provoked, was provoked by disobedience and not obedience would just further the problem of disobedience. Instead of bringing us into the place of obedience and what God would have us to do. See, the law doesn't tell us our destiny. It just discourages disobedience. If the law told us our destiny, y'all would be lined up at the courthouse right now to hear a judge tell you what your destiny is going to be. But a judge is only there for one purpose, and that's to sentence and execute the law. Right? So Paul's saying, why do you want to go back to judge a jury and executioner when you can walk in the Spirit of God, be enabled by His life, and walk in the fullness of everything that God has for you? So Paul says, if you want to go back, let's go back even further to Abraham where the promise began. That you're people of a promise, not people of the law. And as that's fading and moving on to something else, Embrace the new thing that God's doing by His Spirit and celebrate it. Verse 24, these things may be treated as an allegory for these women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery and this is Hagar. Now Hagar, verse 25, represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. So we see here this picture that he's trying to say. He's like, man, you've got to go back to your right mother. So he sees Sinai as Hagar. And sees the promise to Abraham... And that he was accounted righteousness. Why was Abraham accounted righteous? He believed. That's what ascribed him righteousness. He just believed God would do it. It's like, wow, I, I think I want to do that. Uh, you know, versus, you know, this other stuff <laughs> over here. And so Paul's trying to put, put them, put, point them to this reality. And he brings in Isaiah 54 in the next part of our text here. And he says, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not bear children. 
Break forth and shout, you who have no birth pains. Because the children of the desolate woman are more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. What's God saying here? God's saying, he's going to bring it to pass in a way that you can't believe or even imagine. So don't try to figure it out. Just enjoy it and keep following him by the Spirit of God. That the desolate barren woman produces more children than the woman who has a husband. That sounds a little bit like Jesus. The woman who didn't even have a husband <laughs> produces the nation of Israel. <laughs> I mean... It's like God's doing this big thing and it's just asking us to believe. Well, it's got to be more than that. That's gotta, no. Believe. And if it gets deep enough in your believer, you're going to start acting right and doing right and following. You're going to start taking them serious. You'll come out of Ur of the Chaldees and you'll go to a place that he's leading you that you don't even know. And people will think you're crazy, but you'll say, hey, uh, the barren woman produces more kids than the one with a husband. I'd rather be the barren woman with a promise than I'd be the one that had everything according to the flesh. Maybe our problem is we've not admitted that we're barren. That we're already pregnant with something else. And that God would bring us to a place to say, you know what? I'm barren. I'm barren, but the desolate barren woman produces more than the one who has everything according to the flesh. So Paul brings in Isaiah as another proof text for his argument. Verse 28, but you brothers and sisters are children of the promise like Isaac. Verse 29, but just as at that time the one born by natural descent persecuted the one according to the Spirit, so it is now. And so we see this play out, right, where Isaac comes onto the scene and Ishmael is still there and Ishmael starts, uh, big brother starts bullying little, little half-brother. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> yeah. And so Abraham has to put away Hagar and Ishmael in order to fulfill the thing of the promise. And you know what that's called? That's called a sacrifice of praise. To get rid of something that's not of God. Again, these are all metaphors and allegory. To be rid of that which is of the flesh. And to be content with that which is from God and the promise. Because that's who we are. That's our origin. That's where we were birthed. Verse 30, but what does scripture say? Throw out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free. So what's your origin? Where were you birthed? Who's your mother? And I want to submit to you with Paul that your mother is the mother of promise, Sarah. And that you are a child of promise. It's led by the Spirit of God. It doesn't have to perform to get God's attention. It doesn't have to posture yourself in some kind of way. But that you can just believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And he's going to do it. And you get to be his biggest cheerleader along the way. Because there's something about a, being a son is that you inherit things that you never worked for or earned. And that you take on the DNA of that which has birthed you. So if you're aligning yourself with something that didn't birth you, you'll look like something that didn't birth you. So like Paul, I'm going to say, yeah, keep going back. Because you don't know where you're really from. You're from the heart and intents and mind of God before the foundations of the earth. That you're God's idea. And God don't make no junk. So I don't think I'm going to identify with junk. I don't think I'm going to stand at Sinai. I think I'm going to stand on the Temple Mount. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to stop along the way and live there and be content in the wilderness. I think I'm going to go on into the plans and purposes of God and go on into the promised land. And that's really the vivid picture that Paul's trying to paint. I want to close with this, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I love what he says here. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and exalt in Christ Jesus and do not rely on human credentials. Though mine too are significant. If anyone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. That's a bold statement. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the laws of Pharisee and my zeal for God. I persecuted the church according to the righteousness stipulated in the law. I was blameless. But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ.
that he would actually see what he could boast in as a liability from keeping him from entering into the fullness of God. But these assets I've come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. And my aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So you know what Jesus wants? Jesus wants your heart. He doesn't want your credentials. He's not even a little bit impressed by that. He's not impressed by the things we think he would be impressed with. You know what really impresses him? Vulnerability and faith. (laughs) Persistence and faith. It's like we see Moses at the mountain coming down with the law. But then when we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, chapters 5 and 7, Jesus is given what's called the Sermon on the Mount. I don't like that because it's more than a sermon. It's Jesus looking like the new Moses giving us the new law. He said, you've heard it was said, but I say. You heard it was said to commit adultery would be the practice of adultery. But I say, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already did it in your heart. That Jesus is going beyond the law of Moses and getting to the heart of who we are. And that is the motives and intents. And it's the only place that God can see. And you know what else? It's the only place you can see. I can't see it. But him and you would meet on the soil of the heart. And that you would give your all to him. So this is what Paul is bringing us to. Saying he don't care about your credentials or or the lack thereof. He counts all that as dumb. So that he could know Jesus more and more and more and more. So quit beating yourself up about you're not this or you're not that. You're a child of God. Sarah is your mother. You're a child of promise. (laughs) You're one of Abraham's descendants. You've been grafted in. Just believe it. (laughs) I can't believe it. Well, say it until you do believe it. Amen.
and quit speaking the wrong confessions over your life over and over and over and over. And quit making excuses for your behavior because you're this way or that way or your mama's this or your dad. Man, get out of that stuff. Just stop. Just stop. Stop. That ain't who you are. You're a child of the king. Start living like it. Start acting like it. And just breathe in the breath of God and receive the Holy Spirit. And he'll lead you into all truth and God every step of the way. Lord, we just, God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your word. God, we just pray that you would breathe on us and that we would consider where we're actually from. And that is from you. we wouldn't put limitations on ourselves that we wouldn't go into pride because of our what we can perceive about ourselves but we wouldn't go into despair either because we don't feel like we're very much it's because in Jesus the it's just a level playing field we're all in the same boat needing you more than anything else. So God, we align ourselves with the mother of promise and we stand under the canopy of Jesus in the secret place of the Most High, abiding with Him. And we leave Mount Sinai which is based upon performance and fear and torment and not measuring up and not doing enough and condemnation. And we leave that and we come into the covering of Messiah Jesus who is all in all and everything that we need. And we just allow the Spirit of God to infiltrate every fiber of our being to motivate us, animate us, and move us to the places and purposes that you have for us to be in. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.